Well, life truly is a miracle, amen? Many of you guys uh, know already that uh, my wife and I just recently had a baby a little over a month ago. I just wanted to show a picture so I can brag on my, my young one a little bit. Look at her, she's so cute. She's amazing, yes. She's almost, uh, almost six weeks old. Her name is Carmen. And uh, her name actually comes from the Hebrew word Carmel. And if you guys have um, studied a little bit of Old Testament history, and if you haven't, you should come to Walk Through the Old Testament. That's my shameless plug for the Walk Through the Old Testament. And, uh, but on Carmel, uh, one of the prophets named Elijah uh, stuck up for God in front of a ton of prophets who were worshiping other people. And God showed himself in an incredible way. The word Carmel actually means God's garden. And as we were just praying through what we wanted to be true of her life and what we wanted God to do in her life, we wanted her to be a person that allowed the Lord uh, to develop deep roots, to make a beautiful garden of her life. And um, so you guys pray for us in that. Um, we, we need an army of people to be able to accomplish that. It takes a village. And, uh, and you guys are a big part of that. So she's been a big blessing to our lives. Yes, we do sleep, not very much, but... Uh, <laughs> It is an amazing, amazing gift from the Lord. But as I was just kind of praying through what I wanted to be able to communicate to you, as Robbie mentioned just the title of this sermon here, I wanted to talk to us about the wonder of the womb. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that there are some things about this particular season of life, having just had had a child, that should cause us to step back and look at God and say, wow, wow, right? There are some things about this season of life that cause us to learn some unique properties about who God is, some unique attributes about who God is that we would not otherwise probably pay attention to. And uh, obviously these things are irrelevant to my wife and I because we just had a baby. Um, but the reality is there are some things like, like we're going to talk about today that I think are relevant for every single one of us. Regardless of what season of life you are in, there, the, there are these attributes about God that are important for all of us to know and for all of us to hear. Because it's not just about what God's teaching me. It's about what God wants to say to all of us. Amen? So, uh, I think, just kind of as a launching pad for, uh, for why we're talking about what we're talking about, just as I was praying through this, isn't it true that when you're going through a unique season of life, there are certain attributes about God that you learn in that season of life that you're not normally paying attention to in other seasons of life, right? There are some unique attributes about God that start to get saturated and deepened into our hearts. And what God does is he takes me through one season, he takes you through another, you through another, you through another, and through all of those different seasons, God begins to highlight all of the attributes about himself that he wants us to know, and we are supposed to take those truths about who God is and encourage one another with those truths, right? So church, what season of life are you in right now? Are you in a season of blessing or hurt or loss, disappointment? Maybe you're an empty nester or a new parent or a grandparent. What is God trying to show you about himself in your season of life right now? My hope for today is that as a growing family of faith, 
knowing Christ, making him known here and around the world, that we would be able to learn some of these truths about who God is and encourage one another, both with them and with the unique truths that you guys are learning in your season of life. So let's talk about it. The wonder of the womb. You guys uh, hopefully have your Bibles already open to Psalm 139. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, and if you don't have a Bible, like Robbie said, we have some that are actually right outside the room, and uh, those are our gift to you. We'd love for you to have those right in it. Um, memorize the verses, all those other different things, that's, that's for you to be able to take home, and they'll also be on the screen behind me. Now, Psalm 139 is a great passage of scripture written by a man named David. He lived about 3,000 years ago. He was the king of Israel during his, uh, the majority of his life, and uh, he's the same guy who, as a 16-year-old, right, is fighting up against a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall man named Goliath, slung with a stone, chopped off his head, and all the Israelites who were terrified of this guy um, were saved because of the work of a teenager. Teenagers can do big things for God. Amen. Right? That is huge. Uh, and that's why I hang out with teenagers all the time. So here in this psalm, what we have is David doing exactly what we just talked about. David has been learning some unique things about God, and he is taking a moment to reflect, to write down some of these unique attributes about God and his reflections about God and share them so that they can be an encouragement uh, to the other people that are around him. So Let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, Look at verse 13 with me. We're going to start there as we look at God's word. This is Psalm 139. We're going to start in verse 13 and 14. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very, very well. The first thing that I want us to see here, there's three things specifically about the womb that I think are like, wow, okay? And the first thing about um, what we're wanting to talk about here is that the wonder of the womb is that it reveals the power of God. The wonder of the womb, the amazing thing about the womb is that it reveals the power of God. Specifically in these verses, as you guys were just kind of listening to that and uh, hearing that a little bit, the first thing is that his power to create his power to create. And I've been absolutely awestruck over this reality recently. And many of you guys know that I, I grew up in Florida. And um, most of the time, whenever you think of things that fill you with awe, you think of things that are huge and enormous and gargantuan, gigantic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And growing up in Florida, I grew up right next to the ocean. It was like right across the street from my high school. I could go there. I didn't skip. Uh, on my lunch break, and we could go and hang out at the beach. And there would be many, many times as a young person that, I'm still young, but uh, as a young person, that I would step onto the shore of uh, the beach there, and I would just be looking out at this vast expanse of the ocean. And it makes you feel like this big, Right? It makes you feel puny. Maybe you've felt that as you're looking at the uh, high peaks in the Adirondack Mountains before. But I would go up to the waterline, and uh, I would often think about this passage in Job 38 that I'll show you here in just a second, where God himself is speaking to Job, and he says to Job, uh, excuse me, where were you when uh, I told the waters to like come this far and to stop, right? Uh, I just want to show you that those verses here is Job 38, 8 through 11. He says, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? That's interesting language, huh? Uh, as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates. He's talking about the ocean here. Limiting its shores, and I said, this far and no farther will you come. Hear your proud waves 
must stop. Now, I would read that, and, you know, as just like a 13-year-old kid, I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, God's really powerful. I wonder how much I could do. So my brother and I sometimes, just as like a fun thing, we would go out into the, uh, into the water, and uh, we would, <laughs> this is silly, but we would step up to the waves, and as they were coming over us, we would try and smack the waves as hard as we could to see if we could get them to stop, to be like, stay, ocean, stay. But normally what happened was, right, we would get crushed and, and pummeled. Um, and it makes you realize, right, like I cannot do some of the things that God can do, a lot of the things that God can do. Right, so as a puny little 12-year-old, I'm getting smushed by the waves, realizing the sovereign power of our God. Just to imagine how much control he has over those forces is incredible. Most of the time, like I said, whenever we think about the awesome power of God, we think about the big things, right? The awesome power of God can also be seen in his creation as he creates the small things, right? And as we look at the womb, I think that that is one of the amazing things about it. I was astounded by this. As I was thinking about it through my wife's pregnancy, we had, uh, we had a little app that would like track her, the baby's size throughout. And normally it would like associate it with different kinds of fruits so that you could get like a mental picture. So it's like this week your, your baby is a Spanish strawberry or this week it's like a Peruvian kumquat. And I'm like, what on earth? So I'm just like picturing my, my daughter as a you know, pineapple or whatever. It's like strange. But um, look at what it says in verse 13 of Psalm 1, uh, 139. It says that he formed our inward parts. You get this picture of like a six-year-old with a piece of Play-Doh, right? Just rolling it up, trying to make it into what they want it to. And it says that he, uh, he, he wove us together in our mother's womb. Now, this word formed literally means made or created, right? And when it references our inward parts, he's talking about our veins, our arteries, your DNA, your inner organs, right? And while those things are bigger now that we are, most of us, adults, God was making those things when you were this big, forming you and creating you. Another word you could use for the the weaving together is that he was knitting or fashioning. But I think the main point I want us to grab for this thing here is that God was in charge of your creation process and he knitted or he created you with intentionality. God was in charge of your creation process, and he created you with intentionality. He was carefully stitching you together piece by piece. You were not just a clump of cells. God was putting you together piece by piece with intentionality. Every single facet of you was on purpose. Amen? Every single facet of you. Maybe you've never knitted before. I haven't either. Uh, but this, that's a process, knitting, that requires a lot of attention. My grandma... If I could like brag on my grandma a little bit, she's like a national hero when it comes to quilting. She's been in like national quilt magazines and different things like that. She's like the real deal kind of grandma, you know what I'm saying? And um, she will spend months on one quilt, spending hours a day just to make that one thing. And it reminds me, God took some time to create you. He took some time to go into your creation process. So when you think about God doing the same thing to us, do you know what that means? He loves you. He loves you a whole bunch. You are loved, more loved than you could ever imagine. If somebody took the time to write out like a 10-page letter to you, just pouring out encouragement and scripture to you, or if somebody took time to build you a house, how would you feel? You would feel loved. And the reality is that person wouldn't even have to say to you, I love you. You would see it, right? 
You would know it by the way that they lived their lives. And that's how it is with our God. You are precious to him. You are precious to God. And because we are precious to God, we should be taken care of with great care and love and respect. If you were to hold the Declaration of Independence in your hand, or the Mona Lisa, how would you handle that? I'm not moving, I'm not moving, I'm not moving, I'm not, right? You're not going to move a muscle because it is a precious piece of uh, history, and we don't want to drop it. And if we were holding the Declaration of Independence, and you threw it on the ground, ripped it up, stomped all over it, wouldn't that be a huge disgrace to the one who made it? And it's the same thing when we do that to these precious little babies. When we look at these children and we treat them like garbage, it is a huge disgrace to God, right? And we often get that in church. The part that we miss sometimes is that once they leave the womb and grow up, they're just as precious and just as valuable. No matter where they come from, they are just as precious and just as valuable. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. And therefore, we are to be treated with love and care and respect. David, as he's writing these verses, is just pouring over in praise as he's meditating on these truths. He's saying, God, I, you're wonderful. This is amazing. I, I know that. I know that you are wonderful. My soul knows that. You care about me. God cares about us a lot. He says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That word for fearfully actually means awesome. We use awesome a lot, especially for me growing up next to the beach. Um, It really is way more than we make it sometimes, right? God awesomely made you, and you are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. And you might be here today, and you might think that. You might think that some part of you was not made very carefully or very fearfully or very wonderfully. You were made with love. And God cares very, very much about you. I remember just looking at my daughter the first time. She comes out of the womb, and I'm just like, wow, God, you are awesome. That's incredible. I I can't do that. You can. I cannot do that. And it's not just true for physical life. It's also true for spiritual life, too. God is the only one who can create physical life, and God is the only one who can create spiritual life as well. Ephesians 2.10, I want to just show that to you guys here. It says this, for we are his workmanship. What's the word right after that? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. No one else can create spiritual life except God. And just like you had a moment of conception in your physical life, you also had a moment of conception in your spiritual life as well. The moment of conception for your spiritual life is the moment when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. When you stopped trusting in yourself and you put all of your trust on him, that was your moment of spiritual conception. And it was an amazing, amazing moment, right? It's the moment when your new life begins. And that's why the Bible refers to us as being born again, right? You have new life. I was just thinking about this as maybe a a way to kind of correlate this, but... You know, as God is preparing you in in the mother's womb, right? 
as God's making you and he's forming you and he's developing your inward parts, he is doing a lot in that space, but you were not meant to stay in that space, right? He was creating you in the womb for another place to live life to the fullest. Even though your moment of conception was before that, you were not experiencing life in the womb as you would when you left. And it is the same thing with our life here on planet Earth. God, in your spirit as a believer, is making you and forming you into the person that he wants you to be throughout your whole life here on planet Earth. But you were not meant for here. You were meant for another place. And even though your moment of spiritual conception happened while you were here, you are not experiencing life the way that you will when you get to where God is taking you. Heaven is our home. Amen? Heaven is our home. Philippians 1.6 says this, For I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The womb is where God forms you, but that is not the space that you were meant to stay. It's not the space that you were meant to stay. Don't you feel cramped sometimes, church? Don't you just, like, in your spirit, kind of just feel like that baby where you're like, ah, right, I want to get out. Um, there will be a day. There will be a day when we see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. And what a moment that will be. Amen? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. So in addition to God's power to create, the womb also reveals God's power to plan his power to plan. I want you to look at these verses that come right after 13 and 14. Starting at verse 15, it says this. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. And this is the part I want you to pay attention to. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Did you know? That before you ever experienced a day of life, God had a plan for you. God had a plan for you. And just like many parents do for their kids, they have dreams. They have hopes. They have aspirations for their children. God has a dream for you. You know what that is? God wants you to live a full and abundant life. And the only way that happens is in a surrendered relationship to him. That's it. God wants you to have life to the fullest. And anybody who tells you differently does not know God. Our God is a God of life, and he wants to give that to you. The same level of care that God gave to creating you, he gave to planning out your life. And we were just talking about the knitting thing, right? Like, that's a lot of care, (laughs) That's a lot of attention. And sometimes we can think, okay, God, yeah, you were paying attention a lot to me in the beginning stages, but maybe you're not paying attention quite as much now. Not true. God is involved. And we refer to this this planning, this control as his sovereignty. The fact that nothing is outside of his control. The fact that no purpose in his heart can ever be defeated. None. And the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ. You know that we learned some of these things from the womb? You ever paid attention to this before, right? God wants to teach you a lot in your season of life, church. 
Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God is a good God. Amen? Now, the wonder of the womb is that it reveals the power of God, but the, the other thing that it reveals, another thing that it does reveal, is the heart of God. It reveals the heart of God for us. I'm probably the most excited to tell you about this, okay? It, it reveals God's heart for us. And there's three specific areas about the heart of God here in Psalm 139 that I think are really important for us to pay attention to, okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to reference those uh, here for the next few moments. It says in verses 1 to 6, what we see is God's heart to know us. What we see is God's heart to know us. You could see that in verse 15 too of the chapter we just referenced, but I want to just read verses 1 to 6 for us. It says, O Lord, you have searched me. Pay attention to these words, church. I've boldened them for you there. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. God is not distant from us. He is involved, and he knows what's going on. Now, for some of you, as you're listening to that verse, doesn't it strike a little bit of fear in your heart that, like, God knows that much? David even says that in verses 5 and 6. He's like, I am closed behind and before. What he's saying is, like, I'm feeling like I'm cramped a little bit because God is that big. It's too much. Have you ever felt that way before? Something so overwhelming, so huge, that it just pummels you, kind of like when my brother and I are trying to smack the waves and we just get pummeled into the ground. So much, so powerful. For others of us, hopefully all of us here, that truth should bring comfort to your heart. That God knows everything. He is not distant. He knows what's going on. and He is not missing anything. God doesn't say oops. Okay? He doesn't. Ever. And some of you guys might be thinking about your, your life and the different things that have happened, and you've probably thought to you, I have. I've thought to myself before, that looks like an oops moment. God doesn't say oops. Everything is under his sovereign control. He knows and he sees. And here's the key. Just because we don't see what he's doing behind the scenes doesn't mean it's not happening. Right? You look at the story of Joseph. He gets betrayed by his brothers and thrown into slavery. He gets framed for a sexual crime that he did not commit and thrown in prison as a result of it. If anybody would have had a moment where he said, you know, God, this is probably an oops moment. It was probably Joseph. And yet God was working behind the scenes. He was stirring things up until finally at the end of his story, he told his brothers, it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. It was God. God's in control. God is in control. And you get this sense, as David's continuing to think about this stuff, that he just feels like his head's going to explode, right? It's too wonderful for me. It's too big. There's one thing that he does know. And it's that with God knowing everything, he still loves him. He still loves him. Some of us have love relationships with people who don't know very much about us. Love without knowledge is superficial a lot of times. And knowledge without love is rejection. 
But God has full knowledge of everything that's ever happened in your life, everything we've ever done, and he has full and infinite love for you. That's the best kind of love that we can ever imagine. The next thing is that we see God's heart to think of us. God's heart to think of us. This is incredible. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, he says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, I just I remember very vividly this moment when Maggie and I were, were in the hospital and uh, Carmen comes out and uh, I get to hold her for the very first time and I'm like almost to the point of just exploding with tears, right? Like if you're parents, you've been there, right? It's, it's a lot of emotion that comes into that moment. And it just dawned on me as I was sitting there and I'm looking at her emotional, like almost on the point of crying, but I'm trying hard not to because there's a lot of other people in the room and I don't, see, I want, I don't want them to see me cry, right? Um, I have this moment where I realize she has no clue who I am. <laughs> this girl has no clue who I am. We've been preparing for nine months, thinking about her constantly, getting things ready for her, sharing with you, dear friends, about, about her life and all that was going to take place and dreaming about her and hoping for her. And she comes out and she doesn't even know us, right? She has no clue who I am. She doesn't even know that there's a me to think of as I'm looking at her. And you know, church, uh, it's the same thing with our God. He was thinking of me long before I was ever thinking of him. And even before I even knew there was a God to think about, God had been preparing and stirring and sharing, right? Moving things into place so that when you came onto the scene, it was like, boom, right? You're not an accident. God was thinking about you. All the while, when you were in the womb, he was thinking and preparing for the things to come. The text says that if David would have counted the number of thoughts that God was having toward him, it would outnumber the number of grains of sand on the seashore. Now, if you're wondering what that number was, because I, I do, um, most scientists believe that that number is about 10 sextillion grains of sand on the planet. Now, if, if you don't know what that is, that is one with 22 zeros. Or 100 billion times 100 billion. All right? <laughs> Many scientists also believe that the number of grains of sand on the shore is about the same as the number of stars that exist in the universe. That's crazy. 100 billion stars exist around, around there in the Milky Way galaxy, and there's believed to be uh, around 100 billion galaxies. I don't know how they get that number. Like, can't see that far. But um, it's believed 100 billion times 100 billion. Now, that's crazy, but when you read this verse, it becomes even crazier. Psalm 147.4, he counts the stars, and he calls them, how many? All, by name. Now, if there's 10 sextillion stars in the universe, and 10 sextillion grains of sand on the planet, that's a lot, right? 
And if God says that he can count all the stars and call them all by name, it assumes that he's given at least a few thoughts to each one of those stars. And David says here that his thoughts toward you, individual, outnumber all of those grains of sand and stars in the universe. And if it's true that you think about the people that you love, how much does God love you? It's crazy. Have you ever doubted that God loves you? The proof is in the pudding, as they say, right? It is right there in front of us. He loves us so much. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does the womb show us his heart to think of us, it shows his heart to be with us. His heart to be with us. Look at Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12 here. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. No matter where you go, God is there. No matter where you go, God is there. Hebrews 13, verse 5, says that he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Never. When things are great, God is with you. When things are not great, God is with you. When you're not even sure that there is a God, God is with you. Your doubt of him, our doubt of him, does not remove his existence, right? We were singing last week the song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You know that every, every hour, you need him, right? Every day, you need him. And every day, you have him. Every day, we need him. And every day, we have him. Now, the greatest example um, in this passage of that is those verses that I just read to you. But the greatest example in all of human history of the fact that God wants to be with us and is with us came in the womb 2,000 years ago of a young lady named Mary. God, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, came to earth. And in her womb... She held Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God is here. And if you ever doubt the love of God, like we said, he speaks a lot of truth. He speaks a lot of realities that he is with you. But can we just be honest, church? You oftentimes don't believe that somebody loves you until they act on it, right? And God says, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to be about it. And I'm going to come to planet Earth. Emmanuel. God with us. If you ever doubt that God loves you, know that he came for you. He came for you. He came to us. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, came to us in that humble manger in Bethlehem as a baby. God's greatest display of love to humanity to that point in history came in the womb of a young woman. 
Does the womb reveal God's heart for us? I think so. Jesus Christ was so committed to the mission of bringing you and I to us, he was willing to sacrifice his own life. He lived perfectly and sinlessly every day of his entire human existence and voluntarily sacrificed his life for us. He gave up his life and died for you, took the punishment that we so rightfully deserved and put it on himself so that he could make sure for all of eternity that we would be with God. Even if your heart is far from God, God is there, right? But we need to be with God. That is the greatest question of your life. Not will God be with you, but will you be with God? Jesus came to secure that reality that we could be with God if you trust in him alone as Savior. John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. I can't read that verse the same way anymore. When I think about my daughter, there's no way, there's no way that I could ever imagine giving her up for somebody, not, not just that I love, but my enemies? Are you kidding me? I want to do to them what the waves were doing to me when I was a kid, right? (laughs) And yet God looks at us as his enemies, and he says, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my love. What an amazing, amazing thing. I want to just uh, wrap up here by by sharing with you this, uh, this last part. Not only does the womb reveal the power of God and the heart of God, the wonder of the womb, the amazing thing about the womb is that it reveals a picture of trust. It reveals a picture of trust. Now, when Jesus was spending time with the people that were following him, the people that were listening to his teaching, he had many, many, many illustrations, right? But one of his main illustrations, his primary, uh, his primary illustration, specifically when it came to showing people what trust looked like, was kids. What was his main admonition to his disciples when they tried to push away those children? He says, let them come to me because you unless you have faith like a child, cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When he was trying to figure out a way to word to people what it meant to trust in him in such a way that they would be accepted into the kingdom of God, he says, look to the kids. Look at how they trust. Look at how they believe. I was thinking about this as I'm holding my daughter right in the sacred moment, the first time that I'm getting to hold her. And every time I hold her since then, I'm reminded of this reality. She has an unequivocal trust for me as her dad, right? She lays content in my arms. She's not suspicious of me. She's not asking me questions, right? She can't yet, right? (laughs) And we'll talk about that in just a second because that comes, right? She just trusts me, no questions asked. And when she has a need, she cries out to her mom and I. And every time I hear my daughter cry, I know this might sound crazy and maybe you don't believe me, but every time I hear my daughter cry, I think, Lord, make me like my daughter. When I have a need, let me just cry out to you. Let me lie in your arms, in your sovereign arms, not be suspicious of you, you, not ask you questions in doubt. Let me just be. Let me trust you like a kid. The womb shows us that, church. What trust is supposed to look like? 
Now, there's a big difference between being childlike and childish, right? To be childish means you're throwing tantrums all over the place, and that's not what God's talking about. What God's trying to get at is that in the heart of every child is this inherent ability to trust the way that he wants us to. And as we continue to grow, there's something that happens in us where we start to doubt. We start to question. We start to point the finger at God and say, are you sure that you know what you're talking about? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Well, you know how I know that that's a good question? Because it was first asked by a snake, right? It's a suspicious question, and it's from the enemy. We can't doubt God. He's proven it to us that he loves us. Why wouldn't we trust him? When you're reminded of how much he's done for you, how much of his power he's revealed to you, how much of his heart he has shown to you, the only logical response, church, is for us to trust him. That's it. And to trust him like a child. To trust him like a child. I want you guys, uh, let's just bow our heads together for a moment as we reflect on on these things here. Um, You know, maybe you're in a similar season of life to me where you've you've just had a kid or maybe you're watching other people have kids. And there are some unique truths about God that are being highlighted for you. You know that God wants to teach you in those seasons. And whatever season of life you are in right now, would you just ask God, open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see what you want me to see in this season so I can learn about you, so I can know you better, so I can know you more deeply and intimately and be able to share those truths with other people who need it. He gives us comfort so we can comfort others. Maybe you're here and you've never heard some of these things that I just said today, that God loves you. He has an unfailing and infinite love for you. Would you just accept that love? Would you cry out to him in your need and say, God, I need you. Every hour I need you. And I know that if I trust you, I have you. Because Jesus has come to us. Would you cry out to him? Maybe your heart's become hard You've experienced a lot of things in life that have caused you to really doubt whether or not God actually knows what he's doing and what he's talking about. Maybe the God that you were doubting is not the God that really exists. Maybe the God that you were doubting is not the God of the Bible. Would you come to him with no suspicion, surrendering all to him? Because he wants to give you life. Life to the fullest. You know, the womb is not something that we were supposed to pay attention to for a short amount of time and leave it. There are so many things to learn. And in your season of life, there is too. And so God, we ask that you would open our eyes. Maybe there's someone here today, Lord, who has never trusted in you alone as Savior. But as they've heard some of these things, you're speaking to them and you're calling out to them. If that is true, Lord, pray that they would not harden their hearts, but as they hear your voice, they would know that today is the day of salvation, that they can cry out to you, and you will not disappoint them. Thank you 
that you show us your incredible power towards us in creating us and planning out our lives. Thank you, God. That you show us your heart to know us, to really know us like no other being in this universe can. To think about us more than any other being in this universe ever will. And to be with us. Thank you that you show us what it means to trust you. You don't just tell us to do something and then leave us hanging out to dry. You show us what it's supposed to look like. Help us to just be like kids. Unequivocal trust in you. Make us those kinds of people, church. Make this a church where we care about those that you have made. We show how much we have been loved by extending that love to others. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for these amazing truths. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.